0: yeah so uh I'll start by just first introducing myself because I'm I'm new but also I know a lot of you all are new as well so my name's Adele um I know Jordan through how do we even know each other just you know it kind of just happened probably Daniel yeah youth and um children's ministry here in Regina my husband's a youth pastor at Living Hope And uh, yeah, Jordan asked me to join the board um, and I was excited. I'm excited about Enriched Life and so excited to see even all of you guys here. This is this has been something that has been um, heavily prayed for and something that's been a dream for a long time. And so the fact that you guys are here means that our dream is coming to life. So we're very excited. It's not just a burrito. Yes, I am actually pregnant. (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, It's not just my big lunch that I had, but yes, so Daniel and I are expecting our first baby girl uh, in October. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) Yeah, we're so, so excited. Um, So October 28, sometime around there, maybe she'll come earlier. Maybe she'll hang out, cook a little longer. We'll see. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm so honored to be able to share with you guys tonight. So thank you for having me. Let's start with reading the passage. So if you all turn to John 4, it's a long one, so I won't force any of you to read it. I will read it, and, uh, and you guys can all follow along. Therefore, John 4. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give them shall never thirst, but the water that I will give them will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Women, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth the woman said to him I know that Messiah is coming he who is called Christ when that one comes he will declare all things to us Jesus said to her I who speak to you am he at this point his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman yet no one said what do you seek or why do you speak with her So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. I'd like to start with a bit of a sad analogy, so hang on with me. It will make sense in the end, I promise. How many of you guys have seen an elephant before? in real life, not just a picture. (laughs) Yeah, so elephants are pretty magnificent creatures, (laughs) pretty massive. I found a fact online that said they can grow to be about 12,000 pounds, it's pretty big. (laughs) Um, But unfortunately, um, because of tourism and because of um, a desire for, you know, tourists to come and to ride elephants, there is a uh, method that is used by trainers called elephant crushing. And basically what this is is that um, because elephants are on high demand, what they will do is they will, um, in order to, to domesticate and to make an elephant tranquil, what they'll do is they'll take elephants when they're at a very young age and take them from their mothers and then they will hurt them beat them, you know, they will um, chain them to something, they will put them in really stressful situations. And um, this is in order to, you know, to uh, take control over an animal that will eventually be way, way bigger um, and uh, and uh, become very, very powerful. And, you know, why, why would this be a method? You know, it's not out of a unique or a pointed desire to inflict cruelty. It's not because of that, but it's because really at the end of the day, it's just very efficient. It's a very effective way to subdue an animal that will eventually become very, very powerful. So if you're trying to domesticate an animal that'll eventually, potentially crush you by how big it is, you know, you'll take advantage of the time when it's weak, at least a little bit weaker. and doesn't have quite as much power. You know, the goal of elephant crushing is to crush the spirit of an animal that has unbelievable power So why do I mention this? Well, it does come up in the story, I promise. Maybe not elephants in particular, but the crushing of a spirit. Let's consider the scenario before us in the story of John 4. Jesus makes a sudden stop at a well because he is human and because he is tired. It's the hottest point of the day and he is thirsty. But as Jesus is resting at this well, a woman approaches to draw water at the most inconvenient, energy-draining point of the day. The fact that she had to even make the trek to this well, which was outside of town, and at noon, when no one else would go to draw water, um, this proves the fact that she actually is trying to avoid being with others. She doesn't want to be around others. She's basically the social outcast. She probably doesn't really get invited to parties. And, uh, you know, she's kind of the elephant in the room. (laughs) She knows it, and Jesus knows it. They're both sitting here at this well, and he can tell that her spirit has been crushed. Jesus met the Samaritan woman in a place where she was already vulnerable. And he could tell that this was a woman who was familiar with disappointment. I mean, she had even set up her entire daily routine around it. She had submitted to living this life in the outskirts, alone. She avoided community because, likely, she was not allowed to be in community. She had not been accepted into it. So like the elephants, her spirit had been crushed. But to this woman, Jesus makes a surprise encounter, and he catches her off guard. He acknowledges her, the simple fact of acknowledging her, Jesus is breaching social norms in this moment by asking her for water. And the woman's questions are consistent of someone who's familiar with cultural methods of exclusion. It's almost as though in the next interaction, she's trying to teach Jesus how to exclude her. She says, how is it that you, though you are a Jew, are asking me for a drink, though I'm a Samaritan woman? But Jesus, He's not going to tolerate it. He does not tolerate her subjection to division in this conversation. He doesn't abide to the social codes or to the taboos of you know, strict Jews who probably their jaws would have dropped seeing Jesus interact with this woman. He diverts the conversation for one that's physical to one that's spiritual. He's not here to perform a cultural dance of inclusion and exclusion. He's not one to just cower to, some sort of societal norm, and he's not even gonna allow her to be comfortable by ignoring her. Instead, he begins a spiritual conversation, and this is what he says next. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. This is an invitation to participate in a discussion about God. This is an opportunity given almost exclusively to men at this time. So not only is he pushing these, uh, ignoring the ethnic boundaries of this time, but also the gender boundaries as well. He's inviting her into a spiritual conversation and a spiritual depth that likely she never would have been invited into. Her response, I assume, is one that's still a bit out of a shock for Jesus' audacity, you know, and it kind of misses the point. She says, sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and cattle? So in this interaction, this is another defensive retort from the woman. Firstly, she kind of pulls the conversation away from the spiritual and back into the physical. And, um, and she even acknowledges the fact that Jesus Jesus isn't even ready to collect water. He doesn't have anything to collect it with. She then incorporates a conversation about their father, Jacob. And this is, again, another opportunity she takes to, um, to create social um, and uh, religious boundaries and, and lines between the sand, between her and Jesus, a Samaritan and a Jew. She's once more trying to draw these boundary lines and trying to teach Jesus how to treat her in accordance to her disappointments. Have you ever done this before? Have you ever, you know, missed an opportunity in life because you were fearful of being hurt again? The first time that I rode a horse was back in Alberta where I'm from. I was working at a summer camp and all the campers had gone home for the weekend and the wranglers, all the people trained with horses, they invited me to go horseback riding with them. And I think naively, I just assumed that if I was surrounded by other people who knew how to ride horses, then I would just instinctively know how to ride one. (laughs) They were just so excited for me to come um, that they just, uh, I was just, I didn't think about me being a beginner. (laughs) So I jumped up on a horse. Thankfully, I was wearing a helmet, always wear a helmet. And within 10 minutes, I fell off, (laughs) and not only fell off, but I got whiplash, which I got, had for the rest of the week as campers were running around, you know, I was trying to catch them, and it was painful. (laughs) It was a painful lesson, but one of my Wrangler friends, she knew that as soon as I recovered from whiplash, I had to get back up on a horse and she was gonna be the one to get me back up on a horse. So why? Why is that important? Because for me, this was my first time riding a horse, and my first time riding was painful. So if I had gone, you know, and left camp after the summer, and gone back to Edmonton, and then the next time someone offered me to ride a horse, I would have said, no, no way, because the only experience I had was one that was painful. And so she said, no, Adele, you're getting back up on a horse, I'm gonna lead the horse. You're gonna be on nice, solid ground with lots of sand so you don't get hurt. And you're gonna have a really nice horse that's gonna take care of you. And so now I can say that I have ridden a horse twice. (laughs) Once was painful, and the other time was not painful. It was actually pretty fun. (laughs) Sometimes disappointment works like that in our life. Sometimes life will just throw us off a horse And the last thing that we wanna do is to get back on. You know, sometimes we say, it took so long to recover last time. I don't wanna get hurt again. It's not worth the risk. And when disappointment sinks in deep enough, sometimes we will even make excuses for it. Sometimes we say no to opportunities. We avoid new spaces, we avoid new people. We don't let others in. We're not willing to be vulnerable. This Samaritan woman is just like us. She's familiar with disappointment. And in her pain and in her loneliness, she attempts to teach Jesus how to keep her alone. But again, thank God, Jesus is relentless. He dispels her hopelessness again and again and again in this conversation. He doesn't put up with it. He calls her to get back up on her horse. He answers, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give them shall never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. So again, Jesus is continuing to dig. He continues to offer himself. He continues to chip away at her disappointment. And the Samaritan woman, says something which I, I kind of love. <laughs> she says, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to drink water. I, I really love this response because first off, I would do the same thing. <laughs> I would say, okay, fine. It sounds pretty decent, give me this water. But even though she's still missing the point, she's asking for what she wants honestly and vulnerably. She's being very vulnerable with Jesus because she's not just asking for water, if you catch that. She's not just asking for a drink. She's asking that she doesn't want to come back to this well anymore. She doesn't want to come back all alone. She's willing to acknowledge this physical thirst that she has, but in this moment of vulnerability, she's acknowledging this relational thirst as well. There's a dryness in her life from the wilting friendships and relationships around her. She's feeling thirsty and she's becoming brave, being open and vulnerable with Jesus and talking about her hurt. And now in this moment, Jesus is ready to respond and ready to heal the wound that has just surfaced. He asks for her husband and she responds pretty calculatively. You know, she doesn't tell a lie but it's more of a half truth. She says, I have no husband. And uh, you know, Jesus gets to the root right away. (laughs) He says, you have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband. That's a little blunt, Jesus. (laughs) It's a little awkward. (laughs) You know, how, how do you respond to pain? Sometimes for me, when someone brings up something that's a little, it hits a little too close to home, the first thing that I do is make a joke, you know? (laughs) I try to ignore it, I try to avoid it, you know, maybe kind of stealthily change the conversation. Sometimes, in some ways, this almost feels like a more compassionate thing to do when someone brings up something uncomfortable about someone else's life, maybe a source of pain. You know, have you ever accidentally brought up something that you shouldn't have had? with someone. I did that once, a few years ago, and it still pains me to this day to think about it. I was back in Edmonton, and I was at a small group, and a, a friend walked in, She, uh, I knew her from a few years ago, I hadn't talked to her in a long time, and I wanted to catch up. And so I said, it's so good to see you. How's your relationship with so-and-so? Immediately starting conversation, and of course, she said, oh yeah, we actually broke up. Like a couple weeks ago, <laughs> I was like, oh, yikes, okay, well, <laughs> how's, how's school going, and she, she actually was in a school in the States, she was going to an equestrian school, It's pretty fancy, um, and she said, it's actually getting too expensive, so I had to drop out, and I had to move back to Canada, and I said, okay, <laughs> oh, no, So I changed the conversation again. And I tried to keep it positive, you know. I said, I said, well, I mean, like, that's so great, you're back in Canada. Like, how's it how is it being back in Edmonton? And and she said, Well, I moved in with my parents, and I'm trying to find a roommate, and I just no one wants to move in with me. (laughs) So I just, uh, (laughs) ah, so brutal. I just didn't know what else to say. And so I just yeah, again and again. I just I accidentally brought up the pain in her life. And I left that conversation feeling like such a jerk because I made her remember. I made her remember her pain. You know, when we see Jesus acknowledge this woman's suffering in this moment, sometimes it feels easier to assume that we have more compassion than Jesus. Maybe if I were sitting at that well, I probably would have brought up the fact that she was there alone. You know, clearly attempting to avoid people. It may feel like this is a more compassionate response, but after a few years of trying to avoid pain in my life, I know that acknowledging it is the fastest way to recover from it. I remember when I broke up with my first boyfriend. The next day, I looked at myself in the mirror and in this moment of clarity, I told myself, Adele, You feel this pain right now, because it's not going to last forever. Because if I hadn't felt that pain, it probably would have festered, it would have lingered for a lot longer than it should have, and it could have changed some of the decisions that I made in the future, after maybe not even dating Daniel, who's now my husband, you know, or maybe not stepping out and and trying something new and being brave and vulnerable. If we want to recover from our hurts, really the first thing we need to do is acknowledge that they're there. Jesus is finally bringing to the surface the one topic that this woman's entire community has avoided. He sits with her to chat about the reason that everyone else has left her alone. Her people left her because the reality of her life was too uncomfortable for them. But Jesus doesn't care. He couldn't care less about the taboo. He saw her, he saw the sliver, he saw how it was infecting her life, and he pulled on it. (laughs) The reason that all others have been avoiding her comes to light in the bluntness of Jesus. And he calls out truth, and he calls out mess. Not to embarrass us, but to give us the vocabulary to heal and to recover. His truth gives us the opportunity to confess and to recover from sin and from pain and its grip in our lives. It's a grace extended to us and to her that he is willing to talk about the thing that everyone else avoids. And once more, our deflection champion diverts the question like a pro because it's too painful for her to sit with the reality of her life She raises a controversial question, um, or, or controversial issue about where Samaritans and Jews worship God. This is again another attempt to increase the chasm that Jesus is slowly filling between them. But Jesus, thank God, he remains adamant. Jesus is opening the truth to her. He brushes aside all the religious boundaries that she's trying to build, and he gets to the point that no matter where worship happens, that it must happen in spirit and in truth. He reveals to her that even if her life, even if her life continued exactly as it were, that she would continue to draw from this well at noon, that even if she continued to remain alone, that she wouldn't have to go to Jerusalem. She wouldn't have to be more religious. She wouldn't have to be a man like Nicodemus. She wouldn't even have to be like the other women in her town. She was a true worshiper if she worshiped in spirit and in truth. And that was available to her right now. But again, even here, she insists on existing within disappointment. But we can see the cracks are beginning to show. She says, I know that Messiah is coming. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. This is verse 25. She finally acknowledges the promise of goodness ahead, of goodness in the future, but not today, not here, maybe in a year from now, maybe even after she's gone. But Jesus, again, he won't let her remain here. He's adamant to reveal the hope of today the hope of right now. It's one of the first times that Jesus very very clearly doesn't back down and he, uh, and, and in clarifying his intent. You know, he often shared in, in riddles and in parables um, to the Pharisees and to, and to crowds and to even his own disciples. But here in this moment to the Samaritan woman, he says very clearly, I am he, the one speaking to you. He is the Messiah. He doesn't leave anything to the imagination. He doesn't leave anything to be chewed on or pondered on. He told her point blank exactly who he was. He was unwilling to let her off the handle, having not encountered truth incarnate. Jesus' love immediately overcomes her disappointment, her hopelessness, her hope for something ahead, but not right now. His presence in this moment is stronger than her pain, every tactic that she brings up, every tool that she uses to protect her fragile spirit that has been crushed, comes crumbling down in the presence of the good physician who was ready right now to begin healing her. She heads back into town and she is finally heard from her community and is actually the first evangelist ever recorded. She finally has something to say. She has news to proclaim. And the people that rejected her, the people that ignored her, she now sees them walking their way towards Jesus from the word of her testimony. She wasn't ready later for ministry. You know, some of us might see a woman in her circumstance and say, give it a couple years of, you know, good teaching and university and seminary, even. (laughs) He was ready to use her right now. She was ready for ministry right then. Jesus had used her even in her disappointment. Disappointment was still a part of her story. Jesus didn't fix, you know, fix or change anything about her reality. In the midst of her story, in the midst of her humanness and the mess that that brings, a woman transformed by Jesus becomes a catalyst for her community. Nothing had changed in her circumstance except that she had been with Jesus. This gospel story began with a disillusioned, disappointed woman who, like one of the elephants, had been subjected to pain and suffering that tore her spirit from her. But Jesus was unwilling to let her sit in her hopelessness. And he breaks through her disappointment. He reveals the power that was hidden within her all along. And she finally worships in spirit and in truth. The purpose of The book of John, the gospel of the book of John is found in chapter 20, verse 31. It says this, but these stories are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So the stories in the whole book of John, they always point back to that theme, that you and I, the readers, that we can have hope in who Jesus is. The fact that this woman's story is included in the book at all, it signals to us as the readers that there's something really significant about this moment. So, so why does John include it? Why include the story of you know, a beat-down, cynical woman encountering Jesus? I think it's because John wanted to prove that Jesus is not disappointed by your disappointment. He's not caught off guard by your cynicism. He is not made nervous by your pain. He does not refuse his love when you feel hopeless. I love to think how beautiful it is that Jesus and the Samaritan woman are sitting at the well of a man who once wrestled God. In Genesis 32, it recounts the story of Jacob demanding a blessing from God and receiving a limp. But here at Jacob's well, This woman asks for an end to her suffering, and she receives Jesus. There's holiness in the wrestle of faith. There's goodness when we try to make sense of the bad. Jesus doesn't come to ignore and to block and avoid our pain, whether it be pain that we caused on ourselves or pain that was inflicted on us. Jesus it does not do to let lament linger. In the midst of my pain, in your pain, he has purpose. He has made purpose. Revelation 21 6, to the thirsty I will give water without price from the fountain of the water of life. That fountain, that water, that hope, that ability to dream about the future, and all the good things ahead, that's available right here, right now. The same as it was for the Samaritan woman, it's available to us right now. And his name is Jesus. It's always Jesus. I will pray for you. Jesus, we thank you for the well that never runs dry. Your presence, your spirit Father, we thank you that you do not let lament linger. That you are the good physician. That you come to break down hopelessness and to build up faith. So, Father, I ask for each of us that maybe there's a moment, a disappointment, a hopelessness that we were thinking about in in our life. Father, I pray that you are bringing to mind this woman who didn't need to do anything but to just receive Jesus and his truth and his words. I pray that in these moments of of our humanity, of our brokenness, that we will encounter Jesus and that he will continue to refresh us and that we will continue to worship in spirit and in truth. And I pray all these things in your name. Amen.
1: Thank you. Of course. Um, So, so let's do we have about roughly 15 20 minutes and just so you know our values are on our website um so our values are simple uh we our number one value is the gospel the good news of jesus i love what you said adele the only thing that changed in her circumstance was that she was with jesus um jesus is the transformer okay we don't transform ourselves uh, so, the gospel, uh, we also really firmly believe in empowerment, empowering, discipling, releasing you, us, all of us to share the gospel with others. We believe in sharing. And so, we firmly believe that all these values accountability, empowerment, relationships, serving, sharing all fold into each other to empower you to have a voice to teach you how to use your voice if you don't know how to in many different ways to also show you that you are valuable. So we're gonna take the time right now to practice the relationships and the sharing. So we have some questions in front of you. Do you wanna do them? I think we should just do them around our tables if that's okay. Or do you wanna do them like this with someone leading the questions? How do you wanna do them? Kinda discuss them around the tables. We can do that. Do you wanna do that? Yeah, so just don't yell, <laughs> it's a bit echoey, but you have, um, you know, like Princess, if you wanna kinda of take lead at that table, and Alyssa here, right? Um, and Jason and Amanda, can, you can turn around and we can do that together over there. And let's, um, let's just chew through what, she, what Adele just shared with us and uh, what she highlighted in this story, okay?